You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, I am Martina Cunha and you are listening to Backstage Talk. Hello and welcome back to another episode. Today's guest is one of those friendships I've created through LinkedIn and it's been an honor and a pleasure um, like having this supportive uh, system and group and network and community behind me for the last i think it's going to be nine months eight months um since i joined the actors fund linkedin challenge and i joined um then as an ambassador um here with me is marcy skolnick she is a stage manager and a show caller and she is going to give us all the details about what she does Uh, Marcy, welcome to the show. I'm really excited you're here. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. It's true. LinkedIn really, I think, and the Actors Fund have been the answer to all of my needs and wants and problems. They've solved everything for me, I think, in the last year. All the things that needed solving and finding you and finding this community. I mean, we're here. How cool is that? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. you're in Vegas right now. I'm in Colombia still. So it's just amazing to know how the arts have introduced ourselves to each other. Um, and I, I really like that. It's it's like the community I found this last year is so close to my heart um, because you all understand like the, the fears, the passion, uh, what we do, the love for what we do. Uh, and I'm really excited Uh, to dive in into your experience. So I will let you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about who you are. Sure. Uh, well, as you said, my name is Marcy Sklonek. Uh I was born in Reno, Nevada, and I grew up in the Bay Area in California, which nobody believes because I spent 20 years after that in New York, turning into the New Yorker I was always meant to be. Uh, when I When I was a young person, I studied acting and performance, and that came about because as a, as a wee thing, I took ballet, and I was so short that I couldn't see over the bar, and so at like six years old, that more or less ended my ballet career. We saw how that was going, but I really liked to sing and dance and act, and so we went that way, and, and that's what I did 
through school and through high school and I went to college at Hofstra University in New York on Long Island and I can't ever say enough good things about how wonderful their program is but I got a BFA in performance which is great but I was an actor that nobody wanted to cast I, and I think part of it was I was in a classical theater program um when I was in my early 20s, I, I wasn't an ingenue. I was sort of everybody's quirky best friend, Janine Garofalo type, and nobody knew what to do with me, except everybody figured out I was organized. So it was like, go organize this. <laughs> stage manage this thing. And I really, I didn't know what a stage manager was. Um, when I was in high school and I stage managed a show, that meant I was on book when people asked for a line and I would give them their line. And that's more or less what I did. And then when I was in college, I figured out that it was about being organized and that served me well enough to get my, my equity union card when I was 20, I was still in school and I was, uh, I was the last stage manager for the original run of Tony and Tina's wedding in New York. I actually closed the show the day I graduated from college in my cap and gown. And then I was unemployed <laughs> for a little while, but, uh, you know, I, I sort of figured, I wanted to be in theater. I wanted to be in entertainment. And if this is what got me there, then great. The great thing about stage managing is I can organize anything. And I really, in the last few years, I have really learned that that is exceptionally true. But, you know, as a performer, I might not necessarily be right for this show or that show or that part. There were things that I was never going to get to be able to do. But because I can organize anything, I can work for anybody now. And that's really what I've learned is those skills that I have and this thing that I do are really super crazy universal, which is way beyond the tangent of who I am, but it is a big part of who I am. And now somewhere in the last four years, I came to Vegas for six months and forgot to leave. And so I'm here with my mother and my 18 pound cat named Pico de Gato. And uh, we're having, we're getting through this pandemic and we're, and we're doing okay. And Vegas is opening up and I am working again. And that's a wonderful thing. Uh, and we're we're moving along. We're doing okay. I'm really happy to to know that the turns in life have been so happy, um, and it's so successful for you. You started really young, um, in not only ballet but in theater. Then moved to New York, studied, and I I just love those stories when they're like. I was doing that show while receiving my diploma or being in a cap and gown. I just love them. Um, and like specifically, what was your first experience as a stage manager? Okay. Uh, well, my, my first semi-experience as a stage manager was in high school. At, at California High School in San Ramon, California, I stage managed a production of The Odd Couple, and uh, it was a it was a staff production. The teachers were in the show, <laughs> and and they brought me in to stage manage. And so I mostly I I took attendance. I wrote down some blocking. I I gave lines when people needed it, and that's a, and that's mostly what I did. I think I also maybe ran a light board. And then in college, sure, I kind of knew what I was doing, sort of, but um, ironically. My first job was stage managing a production of Endgame by Samuel Beckett. Something you may or may not know about me is I have a massive obsession with Samuel Beckett that sort of came about a year after that production. It just happened to be what I was doing. Um, and it really was like, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. We were in a tiny black box. 
it was somebody's, I think, graduate thesis in the program. And, and so I learned how to make schedules and, and, and email was still kind of a recent thing because I'm old. And so we were figuring out how to do that and figuring out, like I figured out how to make an email group to send an email to multiple people by putting in one word. That was really exciting. And just, you know, learning, you learn the lingo, you learn the things. And and that's when I learned how to call a show. I didn't, I didn't know what that meant or how to do it. And, and so I learned about cue calling and about running tech, taking, you know, performers and all of these technical elements and making them a thing. I mean, I think now it's much more common, at least in the States to learn those things in high school um, you know, there are these big, beautiful performing arts centers in high schools. And the, when I was in school, the California school system was broke. So I didn't learn that. <laughs> um, you know, college was really when I when I figured that out. Um, and, you know, everybody was really generous with me and, and wonderful. Hofstra was a great place to really learn. They didn't expect me to know what I was doing. And when they figured out that I loved it and that I was going, I could be successful at it, Hofstra didn't really at the time per se have a stage management program. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of created it as we went. Like I did get my degree in performance because I wasn't going to stick around for another couple of years figuring out that degree. I wanted to get out and work. And so I had a lot of really wonderful professors sort of help me create curriculum and teach me things on the job, which was such a gift. And now they have a really wonderful program that, that people seek out and, I show up once a year and tell some funny stories to the kids and that kind of thing and mentor as much as I can. I've ruined a couple of stage managers lives from Hofstra by hiring them straight out of college and, you know, become work to, for me and there's the end. Um, but you know, I, I want, I give back to them as much as I can because they really, I mean, they allowed me to go work full time in New York while I was finishing my degree. That's a gift. Yeah. Uh, it was really, I couldn't have had a better experience. Amazing. This leads me to the big question of tonight. Um, what is a stage manager? And you know, what funny. is a show caller? Okay, so so a show caller in, in very brief is is what they call me when I do shows that aren't theater. Um, <laughs> so the way, so way this came about that I became a show caller was um, I was I came to Vegas to stage manager show called Baz, which was was running, had been running for about a year when I took it over. And it was um, three Baz Luhrmann films, Romeo and Juliet, Gatsby, and the Moulin Rouge, thrown in a blender and turned into a musical. It was really, really fun. I took it over. It was, I mean, it was a blast. We had such a good time and then it closed because it wasn't making enough money and we moved on but uh as we were moving on as that show was closing uh i'll never forget i got a call from a friend who said send me your resume and i said something really professional like it's one o'clock in the morning i'm at, i'm at the bar what do you want <laughs> shut up and send me your resume okay so I, I like forwarded an email from my bar stool with my martini with my theater resume on it. And the next morning I got a call from Gwen Stefani's production manager <laughs> and, and they were looking for a show caller and they said, can you do that? And I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea what you're talking about. But I have, what is even happening? <laughs> sure. So of course I said yes. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and that's about how that went. Um, and it, it turned out what they meant was really a person who can call a show. So 
meaning what I do during during the big residencies, the big musical things, is is call cues. Some lights, sound, spots if I'm really unlucky, big automation pieces. Like the Gwen Stefani show, if you if you look it up on YouTube, you'll see there's like flying bananas and big automation pieces. And when I say go, those things move. So the job is about technical precision. It's about making sure that the show is the same every night so that the audience is having the best artistic experience. They're seeing the best show that they can, but chiefly also so that everyone is safe because if it's technically precise and all the things are happening when they are supposed to consistently, no one's going to get hurt. Also, there are variables because it's live and there are live people. And if, uh, you know, Gwen decides to walk over here instead of walk over there and I need to delay a banana moving by two seconds, that's why I'm a live person. It's why it's not an automated thing. I can watch and say, her costume snag, that needs to be delayed. We, you know, I can think on my feet and sort of figure out what's different. Versus stage managing, which includes all of that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know it's funny I was I was sitting I was waiting for an appointment thinking about us having this wonderful little talk and I just decided to google stage management and what came up from like the Oxford English Dictionary says something like the person in charge of lighting and other technical elements of theater but they specify lighting not anything else and it's funny there's a movement actually in in the union in actors equity specifically to define what a stage manager is this is probably a movement that's been going as long as there have been stage managers in that union. Um, but really we've been talking about it um, because it's useful to know generally speaking, what it is that we all do and then what the differences are between what people do. You know, it, I always joke and say a stage manager in a theater is the person totally responsible for totally everything. And really what that means is, I'm the executive instrument of a production that's going to get it from pre-production to close closing. I, I facilitate, I organize. It's, it's a middle management position. Really. I'm not, I'm not like the big idea, creative person. I can sit down with you and let you bounce artistic ideas off of me all day. And then I'm going to schedule them so that you have all your meetings, you have your rehearsals, you take a break once in a while, you get the props that you need and then when we go into tech and we go from having a bunch of actors in a room with nothing to on stage with everything, I sort of help everybody integrate all of those things so that it looks good. Nobody's getting hurt. It makes sense. And everybody is happy. It's, it's, I'm facilitating a lot of things and pushing them forward. Sometimes I say it's like the eye of the storm. Sometimes I say, I just make a lot of paperwork and send a lot of emails. That's it. The interesting thing about show calling is I do less paperwork. <laughs> it's a lot of what it is. It, it, it's just kind of like all the same things get done, but it's a different balance of power. You know, in theater, I have a production manager who's like handling the crew, getting us the people we need, getting us the things that we need. And I'm scheduling actors. I'm doing more people scheduling and they're doing stuff scheduling and we're sort of tag teaming. In the concert world, I mean, there are also show callers in, in corporate, which we could get into, um, but uh, but in music, my production manager is handling much more paperwork and scheduling than I am. And I think it's, it's possibly because I'm just dealing with so many really big things 
that there's more people doing more things. I'm never going to be on deck when I'm calling, unless unless I'm sitting on deck and calling the show from deck. But generally speaking, I'm actually out at front of house with the audio engineer mixing the show, facing the stage, seeing the same thing the audience does, which is super useful because I can tell firsthand if they're getting the correct experience, if it looks right. Now, sure, I could do that from backstage, but what I'm not doing is, is I'm not running a deck track, which I could do as a stage manager in theater or opera or dance or any of many other different circus, you know, many other different disciplines. I could be actually moving props or supervising the moving of props in a, in a hands-on running around kind of way. Show calling, I'm sitting in one place, I'm looking at my book and a bunch of monitors. It's, it's a different focus. And I feel like luckily I wind up having more support. Like I wind up doing, I wind up writing tracks and paperwork for people so that lots of people know what they're doing. But during the show, I am doing less. I've prepped them and I'm focusing on one thing, which is usually large things moving and hopefully not killing anybody. (laughs) It's the first time I ever heard the the term show caller actually was, was in corporate where it's like, you know, a corporate meeting or, you know, a, a, I think maybe the first corporate show I ever did, I think was for a large printer company. And we were like demoing one of those giant large format printers. So, you know, I would say go and something would print, but it's like, it's just, it's a different scale of thing. I didn't realize that show callers could be found really in the entertainment world until I wound up in pop music. Um, you know, it, it, it's different vocabulary for kind of the same thing, kind of, but like a stage manager, there are stage managers in music, in pop and rock and roll. But a stage manager is really the person who helps supervise the loading and unloading of trucks if you're touring. So like making sure the set gets on stage correctly and then gets back in the truck correctly. And then chiefly, make sure that the band gets safely on and off stage. That's what they do in pop and rock and roll, which is super crazy important, but different from what a show caller does. Hope I'm making some kind of sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're you are absolutely. So what do you think are the basics for each one? Like the sure. must have skills or lessons a show caller needs and a stage manager needs. Sure. Well, both of them need different kinds of organization. You have to be an organization person. You have to be a people person, I think, to succeed in both of them. I mean, there are plenty of like super cranky stage managers or show callers, uh, but they might not necessarily get hired more than once, <laughs> I would think. I don't know. I have found for me, let me say that. I have found for me that uh, enjoying people gets me really far in my career because one of the things I enjoy most about being a freelancer and working in entertainment is meeting people and hearing their stories and then helping people tell stories. That's what I really feel like I do is I help you tell your best story. And part of that is having a curiosity in the world, having a curiosity for you and your story and enjoying telling my own story. And and that's the thing I think that makes us human. So I think to succeed in both jobs personally and the world can disagree with me. Those are things that, that really will help you succeed In terms of stage management versus show calling, a show caller really needs to have a sense of timing. I think actually musical timing, whether or not you're doing music, there's something about having good musicianship and musical timing that will get you through calling a show. You can still succeed as a stage manager if you don't have that timing 
but you're not going to be the one calling the show. You might be the one running the deck. Uh, and, and you can succeed in that. I, some of my favorite people to work with are people who love running a deck and love being assistants. They don't want to be the person in charge dealing with the talent or the director or the whomever they, they really want to support. And I love those people because I need those people in order to do my job. Well, um, I think, uh, Stage managers really must excel at multitasking or at least being able to change focus very quickly and, and manage multiple things happening. Um, I think stage managers really need to understand how to speak to an artist, to speak artist and to speak to an artist. There's a certain amount of like translating translating the art into bullet points of a and b and c and how are we going to get there that stage managers need because no matter what you're dealing with some kind of artist making some kind of thing uh and and figuring out how to like have that conversation and move it along is very helpful i think stage managers uh also need to be able to figure out how to get something from point A to point B if it's just sort of moving around in circles. Um, and some of that is slightly less important or less of a focus in show calling. In show calling, it's really about understanding what needs to be moving and where it's going, understanding how to think three steps ahead so I know that while this thing is moving, this other thing is going to be moving and this thing is getting ready in the back because... You know, if I send the cupcakes on too early, they might get hit by the bananas. Um, so it's it's that sort of a multitasking focus, whereas I think, but I deal with less people in general. Like it, there's less of a, it's less of a collaborative job, generally speaking. It's more, I'm more like leading the band than I am first chair violin or something like that. It's, it feels a little bit less collaborative and more dictatorial maybe. <laughs> Uh, because you're really, as a show caller, you're really leading the ship. Yeah. If when anything goes wrong, then we're collaborating <laughs> because we're figuring out how to solve the problem. But I have to be really sure of myself in a different way because I am leading that ship and it's going to sink or it's going to get to where it's going on my watch, really. Whereas I feel like a stage manager is more of a middle management job. And so it's about synthesizing a lot of different things. You have to, and And so... You really have to figure out how to deal with different personality types. Mm -hmm. um, also, I find uh, stage managers have to deal with more, you know, we deal with a thousand different unions and what are all those rules? It, you know, no matter what entertainment you're working in, are you dealing with the city's rules? Are you dealing with Actors' Equity or AGMA or AGVA? And learning how to synthesize all of those things to something that works comes up more in stage managing than show calling are any of these like the top 10 essentials probably <laughs> you know everybody is gonna anybody you ask who's ever done either of these jobs will give you probably a different perspective on the things that you really need to learn i you know in both again i'll say you know organized pleasant and able to roll with the punches i guess are the are three big things that have gotten me far at least I love what you, you you said earlier that you were like a bridge as a, as a show caller or a stage manager. You, you were like a bridge between uh, performers, musicians, art, 
props, uh, makeup, like everything, because I do really think that stage managers are a performer's best friend and right hand. Like absolutely everywhere. Absolutely, I and and I love that, <laughs> and and maybe that's because I have a performer background too, and 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 that has always been very helpful for me actually, because I really do. I, I can say to a performer or or a playwright or an artist or a designer or anybody, I really do. I I understand what you're, who you are, and what you're going through. I've been in your shoes, and I'm not doing it because you you are the one who should be doing it, and I'm the one who should be supporting you. And that's the way that this relationship works, and it's reciprocal. We we lean on each other, but I. It is, a, it is a great joy for me to support those who need to be supported in order to do their best work. That's really what, uh, what a great part of my job is, is, is to support and to carry you through and to help you find your way through from A to B. And that's a great privilege to have. Uh, and I take it very seriously. And, you know, there many people don't know that actors and stage managers are in the same union when we're talking about theater. And... And that, I think, speaks to a symbiotic relationship, you know, that we really are there to help each other. And uh, and it's important. And I I want to be that person. I want to be an advocate for an artist. I feel that it is a privilege and a duty to advocate for artists and their unique needs all the time because... When it's your name above the title and you're the one out in front of the lights in front of the people, it's not always easy to advocate for yourself. When you're when you're putting that much out there, you need that support, I think. And and being able to do that gets me out of bed in the morning. I love it. <laughs> I, I got really excited. <laughs> Yay! Whether you're in one position or the other, do you have a specific routine for a show? Oh gosh, what do I do? <laughs> probably I do I think it, it changes some um you know I I make sure that I that I eat well in the afternoon and I take my vitamins <laughs> and um and before a show I make sure that I have tissues and cough drops and tea <laughs> uh especially when I'm show calling because I talk a lot um you know it's it's just a constant stream of talking and because at least when I'm show calling the, the big pop stuff, I'm in front of an audience or I'm in the audience and it's loud and we're mixing the shows really loud. And, and so I have to project, but I can't scream, but I have to be heard over all of this wonderful nonsense going on around me. And there's always a danger. I'm going to lose my voice. So I, so I always have my tea um, with a little bit of caffeine, but not too much caffeine. Um, and before, well, but when I'm show calling pop, we fist pound and we say have a good show to anybody who's in the front of house. So even if like somebody's girlfriend or a manager or somebody, everybody has to fist pound. Um, and when I start the show, I check in with all of my departments and then I give all of my standbys and, and the way I give standbys at the top of the show, I warn every single department for every single thing that's going to happen in like the first two minutes. I talk and I talk and I talk and I talk and I talk so that everybody knows where we're going. And I wrap it up by saying, okay, let's do the thing with the stuff. And I started doing that quite honestly, because one day I was calling a I was going to call a show and I forgot what the name of the show was momentarily. And so I was about to say like, Hey, let's do cats, but I couldn't remember what I was doing. So I just said, let's do the thing with the stuff. And it, 
became funny and I've kept to it. Um, but now I feel like it's a trigger that people know, like, okay, she's finally done talking and we're going to start. <laughs> and it really, it sort of gets me in the mindset of like, and now we're going to do the thing. And then, um, almost always at the, towards the end of a show, there's always some sort of choreography that we're doing in the booth because it's like a celebratory moment of like, we survived. <laughs> Like I want, I, I want people that are have to listen to me talk on headset to have something to look forward to. So there's always like a hand thing or a woo or a whatever that's gonna happen just because it amuses people. And then there's always some sort of post show, chocolate, a celebratory drink, a high five. A, there always has to be a something so that we can signify we've survived. Nobody died. Often, actually, we'll finish a show and I will say, "Yay, nobody died." Uh, because I feel that, uh, you know, life is hard and we should celebrate as many things as possible. So there's always a lot of celebrating and good cheer. You, you just be, I just remembered that you have a specific like phrase or sentence you say before every show or before starting every show. What I did when I was a performer uh, or when I am on a show is I go to every single castmate I have and I whisper to the ear, I watch your back. It's like my type of, of like oh, ritual. <laughs> and I loved it. I, I, I heard the first time I heard it was a teacher. Um, he hugged me from behind and he, he told me, I watch your back. And we were like on an opening night and I was like, Oh my God, this is really nice. And like my nerves went down and the performance went smoothly and I loved it. And I love I that it. you have like that specific phrase too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it, it is important, right? I, you know, it, it's important to know no matter what it is collaborative and we are counting on each other and we will carry each other through whatever it is that we're doing. You know, if it's a rehearsal day or a day of tech or we're going in front of an audience That's what's so joyous about what we do is, is we are there to help each other succeed in the best way possible. I love that. I love it. <laughs> Let's talk about your experience at Vegas because okay. I was, I was like, I always do a little research about every guest I have. I was like, wait a minute. I didn't know that Marcy worked with Christina Aguilera. And, thus, that, and then after that, it was like, I didn't know she worked with Gwen Stefani. <laughs> and, then, and then like scrolling down your LinkedIn profile was like, ooh, she works with the Eagles and she's done musicals and she's she worked with, with the freaking Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> like, I, I've done a lot of cool stuff. <laughs> you you do. Like I wake up some days, I wake up every morning and I'm like, wow, this is my life. I, I've always struggled with the phrase gratitude. This is personal. I, I feel when I say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful. Somehow to me, that makes me feel like I didn't work for the things that I have. And so instead, I prefer the phrase fortunate, which many people have pointed out, maybe it should be the other way around. But I, I prefer to think that I am a fortunate human being because I've worked really hard to do the things that I do Uh, and I, but I've gotten uh, amazing opportunities and I have an amazing life. I, I've done some of the cool, I like, you know, I, I've kind of become the person that I wanted to be when I was a kid, when I grew up and how did that happen? I don't know, 
<laughs> you know, I, I think the truth of the matter is I came, I came to Vegas to do Baz, as I said, but part of that was um, almost four years ago. Now my father passed away rather unexpectedly and my mother was here in Vegas. And I thought to myself into the world, I can work anywhere. There's going to be theater and entertainment anywhere I go, but I only have one mother. And now I only have one parent. And uh, if I could still do the things that I love and spend as much time with her as possible, that would be a great gift. And then I got a phone call to do Baz. And uh, and when Baz closed, I got a phone call to do Gwen Stefani. And that led to Christina Aguilera. And that led to the Eagles. And also all of these other cool things. And, and I can only think uh, I'm not a religious person in any way. But uh, my father must have had something to do with it <laughs> in some way. And, and actually, that's if there's any ritual, every single show I have done since I got to Vegas, there's a moment, there's a fraction of a second in my head where I think, hey, Dad, look at me oh. every day. Because I know, I mean, when, I, when the Eagles happened, I said to my mother, Dad would have liked this one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it just makes me the luckiest human being in the world. And that's... I really learned about other kinds of entertainment in a visceral way in Vegas. Um, because in New York, I was mostly doing Shakespeare, which I love. I love. And I was doing Yiddish theater, actually. And I'm I'm not Jewish and I don't speak Yiddish. But I did a decade's worth of Yiddish theater in New York and I loved it. Uh, and then I came out here and learned that there were there's all this entertainment here that, that aren't plays and musicals. And I had seen a Cirque production, a couple, I think, um, I saw Kidam in, in the early 90s when it came through the Bay Area, and I thought, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And uh, and when my parents moved to Vegas in 2001, I think we saw Mystere, and then we saw Love, and I thought, this is just amazing. I wonder if I could do that, but I didn't really ever think that I would. Um, and so I, I was a, I was a, a ASM deck sub on Zoomanity for a while. The show is now closed. It won't return, unfortunately. But... Um, to just watch these incredible performers backstage warming up like it's nothing, like doing the most incredible things with their bodies and like juggling things and balancing things. And I mean, just doing amazing stuff. And I think like they've been training their entire lives to do this and, and to just even be near them is such a hoot. <laughs> and I love, and I love it. And, and my introduction to Cirque was actually through the Rev, which was a Franco Dragon show at the Wynn. Uh, and my dear friend, Janae, was a stage manager at La Rev and she uh, took a maternity leave to have Annabelle who just turned two. And, and so I went on for nine months to um, for about nine months to, to train and to cover for her. And it was just a wonderful experience. And La Rev uh, is a, was a water show. It also sadly has closed and will not return pandemic. Um, but the tracks that I ran for the most part were 80 feet in the air. <laughs> I was 80 feet in the air and every day I would, there was like a big open opening <laughs> in the center of being up 80 feet in the air. And they would, you know, rig these performers to, to go over and go down that opening and fly and sometimes dive into the pool. And like, and I would like hold onto the rail and over the edge <laughs> because you asked me, are you afraid of heights? When I had my interview, no, not at all. I was terrified was terrified and so i i spent this time like every day i would just peek to see if i could conquer it and now i'm okay i don't know 
I always would joke and say, like, I'd love to go over in a rig just to have the experience, but I might have a heart attack if I did it. Uh, but man, I mean, that show, it's amazing. It's these incredible acrobats that do these incredibly athletic things, and then scuba. And all of these technicians that are doing, like, technician-y things, lights and automation and whatever, in scuba suits. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, what I mean, and and what was cool about that was... I wasn't just subbing occasionally. I was able to really immerse myself in being there for some months and really learn what it was to work on a, on a circus show like that. And then that experience helped lead me to, uh, to Zoomanity and other things. And I worked, um, I subbed at Absinthe for a while, which is a Spiegel world show, um, which is, it's a small one ring circus and it's, and it's acts. Um, and I think is maybe the most interesting that, thing in vegas i mean not everything is open right now but like pre-pandemic when everything was running if anybody came to town that's what i would tell them to go see if they didn't mind some raunchy humor it's super crazy raunchy but they have some of the best circus acts i've ever seen and the crazy pants thing about that show is it changes every night like every night the show's in a different order there are certain things that will always happen in a certain order but in between those those key touch points Acts could happen in any kind of different order depending on who was in and who was out. And it's because it ran seven days a week, two shows a night, sometimes three shows a night. Uh, and so nobody, of course, could do that many shows a week. So people would have to have a day off. And that rotation is is nuts. No, understanding how to handle all the transition between those, show, those acts on the fly. And then sometimes somebody goes out in the middle of the show. Those things are crazy. Like those, those are things you don't learn at college. Let me tell you, I don't even think I never went to grad school, but I'm going to wager to say nobody learns that in grad school either. <laughs> you know, Like really learning how to completely revamp a show on the fly and make sure everybody has what they need are things that you're going to learn on the job gleefully. And you're going to fail at it a little bit and it will be okay. So long as nobody gets hurt. Um, and it's, I mean, all of these things, again, it's like, it's such a cool honor to do these things and and to see the cool thing about vegas and maybe other places too i don't know i know new york and i know vegas uh i feel like vegas really figured out how to let people have careers in entertainment and also have lives that may be true on broadway i never had the privilege of working on broadway but in vegas many many people have wives and husbands and partners and families and have figured out how to do that and work in their chosen profession in a way that I think is hard to find other places. And it really, it's amazing to me because Cirque performers who've been with Cirque for 20 years are able to afford to send their kids to college. And that's an amazing gift, And it, but it should be. That's what it should be everywhere. It's a profession like any other profession, anywhere else, and we should be able to afford our lives and do this and, and tell stories to the public and also go out to dinner once in a while without worrying whether or not we can pay our mortgages. And I really think that somehow Vegas has figured that out, and I hope that that continues post-pandemic as we're, as we're figuring out a, a way out of this. But it, it feels like there's hope because things are starting to come back here, which is exciting. And I know that that hope specifically will will like remain there and be like this firing pit that lights our sparks. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's funny. I, I posted a poll on my LinkedIn today because I got no conversation with a friend yesterday about how we're all sort of getting up earlier and going to bed earlier because we don't have to work until one o'clock in the morning. And so I was just curious to see, like, what are people doing? Because I definitely go to bed by midnight and I'm up around eight. And that seems to be the schedule that my body likes. Um, but I was curious to see, like, are people still staying up really late? Like, just because that was their habit? Do people like to go to bed? Have people figured out that, God, I never had a work-life balance for a long time. And now that I kind of have one, I want to hang on to that. Does the rest of the world hold still open for another six days? But it seems like, yes, <laughs> people are enjoying their work-life balance. I actually saw it and it was like, I've had gigs in which, yes, I have to stay up late and it's fine. But I've also... I, I, I'm really strict with that sleeping schedule. If I'm not in bed by 10.30, I'm going to be a mess the next morning. Like, a yeah. mess. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because, you know, when I was, you know, when I, for a while here, this is something that I think is particular to Vegas. Um, one is, as a stage manager and a show caller, one can make a living on the strip just being a sub. So, like, I go in two days a week to this show. I go in one night to this show or maybe two weeks to the show. And I didn't have a full-time job after Baz for a long time. But I was making a ton of money and working a lot and paying for my own health insurance, but whatever. Um, and, and so doing that, like I would go into work at five and probably get out between 11 and midnight. And then maybe I haven't had dinner. So I'm going to go grab dinner somewhere because everything in Vegas is just open all the time. You know, and I'm going to go to bed at one o'clock in the morning and then probably get up at 10 the next day because my body needs some sleep. Uh, it, it's, it's funny. It's, you know, you just sort of adjust to whatever you need to do. You know, when, when the Eagles were out on the road, that show is three hours long and it starts at eight o'clock if we're lucky. And, you know, then often we're loading out until two o'clock in the morning and then we're going to be in another city the next day. And, you know, you just, you sort of adapt to whatever schedule that you have. But I feel like in the last year, I've at least caught up on my accumulated sleep debt. So now I can go into anything. <laughs> <laughs> What was your best experience calling Christina Aguilera's show? Uh, that show came together very quickly. We had a, we had a decent rehearsal period. Like I went to LA for a couple weeks and we, or a couple days, I don't know. I was in LA for a period of time that I think really was only about four days. Um, having some rehearsals and then we brought it back to Vegas and we put it together in about a week of like very, very long days. But um, one of the curtains that we needed to do the show that came in and went out several times as a projection surface didn't show up during tech. And so we were using another curtain that was in as a standby But we, we didn't have this other curtain and therefore we didn't really know if it was going to work because, you know, until you like project the thing on the screen, like, does that look the way we want? What do we do about it? And, and it didn't come in and it didn't come in and it didn't come in. And we were told our, the night of our first show was the day it was supposed to come in, supposed to get there at five o'clock that day before an eight o'clock show. And we were just kind of crossing our fingers, hoping it would show up. And, uh, And we sort of had like the plan A of how the show was going to go if it, if it showed and the plan B completely different cues if it didn't. And it did show up a little bit late. And I think like, am I remembering the times correctly? Let's go with it. Like if the house was supposed to open at seven 30, we were still installing and testing the damn thing at that time. And so we were just like holding the house as much as we could. And I was sitting with 
one of the technicians talking through cues in a very literal sense. I'm going to say this, you're going to do this, then this will happen, then this person does this, then I say this. And it, it was really like moment to moment, these are all the things. Because I, in part, I think everybody was just so scared that it wasn't going to work that we were like, it was back to remedial, like all say all of the things out loud. And we were just, I don't know, I can only speak for me. I was terrified. I was like, I've never been this scared in my life. Is this going to happen? Will I have a job tomorrow? And we got through it all. We opened the house. I like grabbed my tea while I was running. I got back to my front of house and like, there we are, we're going to do a show. And then it was great. It wasn't technically flawless. We had a couple of moments, but I don't know that anybody would have known it. And so the whole show became this great celebration of, oh my God, we did it. <laughs> and that amazing kinetic energy, you could, you could see it and you could feel it with everybody. It was just so joyous. She's so great. And she's such an incredibly strong woman who doesn't take any guff from anybody and she shouldn't. She's just, an, she's an incredible talent. That woman can roll out of bed in her sweats and put her hair in a bun and like, open her mouth and blow off the back wall with the sheer amount of sound that comes out of her. Not trying at all. She's just incredible because if she tries at all, which of course she always does. And then some, you get the most amazing experience. She's just awesome to watch and, and to watch her talk about uh, empowering women and, every once in a while bringing her children on stage to say hello. And it's like, well, you're that kind of a badass and you're a really good mom too. It's just, it's astounding. But that, that first performance, like, damn, we got away with it. We did it. <laughs> it was, was just so incredible. And following that, I think we did a new Year's show that year, which turned out to be our last show before the pandemic hit, I think, or the pandemic was starting to hit when we did our next chunk of shows. I think, um, it was just, it was joyous. It was joyous to be doing that, not knowing what was coming our way. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Before we go, where can people get a hold of you, follow you, oh, chat sure. with you? I'm on LinkedIn, guys. Uh, LinkedIn is my main social media of choice. There are two Marcy Skolniks on social media in general, and I am the one who is not married to Murray Rabinowitz. True. Somebody sent me their wedding announcement when, when Marcy Skolnik, who spells her name exactly the same way I do, married Murray Rabinowitz, and they're both law students from Harvard, I think. Uh, so she. So every once in a while, somebody will like try to contact me looking for her. I'm not her. I'm the Marcy Skolnik without a married name after that. Uh, I'm also on Facebook, and I check it probably once a month. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm also on Instagram. My Instagram is at dreadfully un, un, dreadfully un, which is an obscure Samuel Beckett joke, actually. Um, and really, if you want to find me on LinkedIn, what you're going to find is once in a while photos of me working and mostly photos of Pico de Gato. So if you enjoy cats, please come find me. Uh, and otherwise, I'm on LinkedIn all the time, and I love it, and I'm happy to make friends and talk and share experiences and and all of those things because i'm so fortunate i do such amazing cool things and you can too and i really believe that and i believe that more people can do more cool things if we all help each other so i'm there come find me let's chat and if you're in vegas look me up 
because I'm here calling a sh- some show or another all the time. <laughs> well, Marcy, thank you so much for coming over. It's been a pleasure. I am really excited for everything that's coming your way. Oh, yeah. And more knowing that things in Vegas are opening up faster than on the East Coast or other countries. Uh, I'm really, really excited. And I have one last question for you. A no-brainer. I usually do this with with musical theater, but with you, I'm going to do it with a Vegas show. Okay. Top five favorite Vegas show. Go. Top five favorite Vegas shows. Absinthe. Uh, if the, assuming everything is open. Absinthe. Gwen Stefani. Uh, Le Rev, rest in peace, but it's still on that list. Uh, love. The Cirque du Soleil Love. And um, number five might be, let's call it Menopause the Musical, because it's good to have a straight-up musical in town that you can still go see. Those are my five. <laughs> I love it, Marcy. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a real honor and pleasure, and I cannot wait to hear more about what you're doing. Same to you. Thank you so much for having me. We should do this again, but we're friends, so we can talk anytime we want. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of Backstage Talk. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Backstage Talk Podcast. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.